Hey everyone, welcome to Revolutionary Health. I'm Charles Stevens. I'm David Malbranch. Nice to meet y'all. <laughs> I think they already know us. I hope so. Hey guys, <laughs> what's going on? And ladies, and every gender. We love all. We love all our team. viewers. Thank you, David. Um, I guess we don't have to do introductions anymore since they know us. But I will say, if you're watching this on Facebook, please like us on Facebook. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, and also join our email list at thecounternarrative.org. <laughs> So I'm really excited about our conversation this evening because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We do. Um, why don't we start with <laughs> my colonoscopy? Let's start with David's. I have a note here. David's colonoscopy. Let's um. Let's yeah. start with it. I feel so much lighter today, y'all. That's all I have to say. <laughs> um, no, I just want to give a report of my colonoscopy. I posted about three videos on my Facebook page um, during the course of the day. It was like before, right after, when I was still on propofol and a little bit high. Um, That's like the wrong time to get on It was the wrong media. time, but I actually held it together pretty well. Okay. And then I posted something later on. Um, and maybe we can post, I don't know if we can post my video on the counter narrative. You filmed your colonoscopy? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't film the colonoscopy <laughs> itself, but I filmed myself afterwards. We'll have Stop to talk it. about that. We'll talk about it later. Um, <laughs> I didn't do the Katie Kirk where they like actually showed the inside of her colon. See, that could have been. That would have been way too that much. That could have been breaking news. It's not going to be breaking news. <laughs> so um, it went well. Um, I did have a little bit of a problem the next day. I had a little bit of abdominal pain that I had to get checked out. Um, but it turned out to be nothing. So everything was good. I will tell people a few basic things. And I think if we can post the video that um, I shot, it's very informational. Like sure. I broke down a lot of the stuff that I, I won't break down everything here. Um, but I will tell people that the hardest part is probably the prep beforehand. Uh, it's this two bottle prescription that you get and the bottles are maybe about this big. They're like small little water bottles, but they have a flavored substance called, it's the prescription name of it was called Clear Pick. And basically you're supposed to drink one of them at about 6 p.m. And then drink a whole, like at least five, eight ounce glasses of water or some clear liquid afterwards. And then 11 o'clock or midnight, you're supposed to drink the second one straight up from the bottle and then drink about three eight ounce um, glasses of water or clear liquid afterwards. You're not supposed to have any fluid or liquid two hours before the procedure. My procedure was at eight o'clock. Um, I got there at seven. I can tell you that the prep, it just basically gets all the stuff out of your intestines. So you're basically on the toilet all day. Um, or all evening, I should say, and it's just water coming out. And so it can be irritating. One of my friends said that I made the mistake of wiping a lot while I was going through that experience and I should have dabbed. And he said, you wipe, that's gonna make it more rough. You, you need to dab, you need to dab. So I didn't learn these things. At some point early in the morning, I got a little- So like, let, let's, let's stop for a second. Yeah. So you're saying that you should dab and not dab and not wipe, wipe because okay. you're going to the bathroom so much it's kind of like when you have food poisoning yeah and for lack of a better medical word you're peeing out your ass so you're literally it's literally like water like when you sit on the toilet it sounds like you're taking a piss but that's coming out of your butt and when that keeps happening over and over again mm. which happens during the prep for a colonoscopy it irritates your skin around your anus and mm. if you keep wiping on it it's going to irritate it even more so one of my friends was saying, you should dab, you should just dab. And I was also using one of those um, moist towelettes that people use to, to kind of wipe and clean back there. And so I used that as well and that helped. But hands down, the worst part of it was the prep, though, that like 12 hours before you do the procedure. The procedure itself went absolutely amazing. And they did actually a scope from above 
and below. And from what I heard from the doctors, they have to get back to me about some biopsy results. They found one polyp in my mm -hmm. colon. This is a lot of information I'm giving y'all about my personal life. <laughs> one polyp in my colon. And I had a little bit of gastritis or inflammation of the stomach lining, um, which is probably from acid. And so they just asked me to take some acid blockers. They said, based on the biopsy results um, of the polyp that was in my colon, and a polyp is just a small little outgrowth of tissue, for those of you that don't know, but it can be a precursor to cancer. So typically they remove them, send them off to the pathology lab to make sure it's okay. If the biopsy is negative, then that means I can get my next colonoscopy in 10 years. Yes. If it looks suspicious at all, then I have to come back in five. Mm -hmm. So the key to getting a colonoscopy is kind of how quickly you do the screening or the time interval between the screening. If there's anything suspicious, they'll have you come back one, three mm -hmm. or five years. If it looks wow. completely clean or normal, they'll space it out every 10 years. So colonoscopy, if everything looks good, you don't have to come back but once every 10 years, which is pretty good for a screening procedure. So um, it went well. I would recommend it to people. So was there any, so I know you're, they, they put you under, mm -hmm. but was, was there any discomfort when you woke up? No, no, it was really, it was really. Did you tell that you had just had a tube up your butt? No, okay, no, I didn't. I, I've heard a horror stories from other people, like they still had some of like the lube or some of the greasy stuff back there, and they were like, didn't they didn't even wipe me off, like those kind of things. But I, that wasn't my experience. Like they did a good job with it. All I remember was the gastrointestinal doctor that was doing the procedure from up front. He was the one that came in first. Then the colorectal doctor came in. They said, turn on your side, face me. The anesthesiologist said. You're going to feel, I'm going to put the anesthetic in. It was propofol. Mm -hmm. So, of course, when I heard propofol, I thought of Michael Jackson. I was like, oh, Lord, what's wow. going on here? They're yeah. going to try to put me to sleep for good. What's happening? But <laughs> propofol, I guess, is used because, and I'm not an anesthesiologist, but it's used because it puts you to sleep quickly, and then you wake up quicker, and you don't have kind of the lag. You're not sleepy mm -hmm. afterwards. So they just put me on my side. They injected it. I felt my eyes getting heavy. Next thing I knew, the nurse was waking me up, and it had been an hour. I was out for an hour. Wow. And she just said, everything's fine. And I left maybe 15, 20 minutes after I woke up. So you woke and up I was and you were out in 20 minutes. I was out. I was out. I, I got there at 7 a.m. And I left the hospital at 9.30 a.m. Wow. I was home by 10. Again, if y'all have any questions for David or about colonoscopies, or even if you want to share your experiences, if you've had the procedure done, please share in the comments. I would recommend it. It, it wasn't, it wasn't So what was your bad. biggest fear about getting this done? Um, I didn't really have fears about getting it mm -hmm. done. I, th I think a couple of things snuck in at some point while I was doing the prep, because you kind of think you're going to sleep. What if you don't wake up? Or what if they find something? But I didn't let those thoughts really invade my head. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are scared out there of yeah. this, because you're scared that yeah. when you have to put, they put you to sleep. It's not major surgery, but it's a minor invasive surgery that they do or minor invasive procedure that they do have to put you to sleep for. And a lot of people are worried about what if they do find something? What if they do find a cancer? It's scary. And, you know, to everyone out there that's scared about it, yes, it's scary, but it's something you kind of want to face. And if um, you want to take care of your health, look out for yourself, your family, your loved ones. It's something you'll invest in. What um, was the biggest surprise about all of it, everything? Like what surprised you most? Um, I had an episode of nausea the night of while I was taking that prep liquid. Mm -hmm. And then the day after my stomach still felt I was I was still having some cramping and some discomfort. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure whether that was the biopsies or something else was going on. But it was concerning enough to me that I had to miss a panel discussion I was supposed to be on and do some other mm -hmm. things. So yeah. Um, yeah. How do you feel right now? Like, are, I feel so you're completely I feel fine right now. I feel a little bloated. But that's probably because of what I'm eating. It has nothing to do with the colonoscopy. <laughs> that's about it. Okay.
And uh, finally, um, just any last words of wisdom for folks that are thinking about getting this done or so range? if you don't have any family history, don't have any conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. Um, the general standard is to actually start getting colonoscopies at 50. The American College of Gastroenterologists actually recommend that for those of us of African descent, we should start at actually 45 because we have worse outcomes. We tend to die more frequently or have a lot more complications from um, colorectal cancer. So mm. if you're of African descent, bring it up to your physician, nurse practitioner, PA that you want to start getting screened at age 45. And that's an official recommendation from the American College of Gastroenterologists. It's not an A plus rating, mean, meaning the science is not 100% backing it, yeah. but it's enough that a lot of doctors and medical practitioners actually are doing it. And then obviously, if you have a family history of colon cancer, um, you either start at age 40 or you subtract 10 years from when your family member was diagnosed. So if you had a family member that got diagnosed, like mother, father, aunt, uncle, that got diagnosed at 40 years of age, you start getting your colonoscopies at 30. Mm. And so that's what I would say with that. We have a comment from Bernard. I've had the procedure and everything went all right, but if they find something serious like cancer, is there a support system to help people deal with the initial news? You know, I don't know. I um, I'm certain they do have that. Uh, the way it got set up for me is that they had me sit down in a small room with the colorectal surgeon and he just told me what he saw. Mm. And then, excuse me, the GI doctor called me on the phone later on and let me know what he saw. So, um, I'm sure they have social workers, case managers in the hospital. It's a, it's a busy place. They have a lot of support staff for there. So if they were to say, we found a mass, like they wouldn't say it it's cancer. They would say, we found something. We took a piece of it, we biopsied it, and we'll let you know. So I don't think anyone would just say, oh, my God, we saw this rip roaring cancer, unless someone was having symptoms and really was having a problem with it. This is for a screening colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to literally scare the shit out of somebody <laughs> while they're right there. So, um, I, you know, I, th I think they do have resources for that. But I think if they're unsure, and sometimes you can't tell with a polyp, you don't know whether it's precancerous or not. So you have to take it out, you have to take it out, send it to the lab and see what they say. Mm. Imanar, thank you so much for that, that question. I think that's an important it's, recommendation. It's a, it's a very legitimate yeah. question. Thanks, Bernard. I mean, I think for me, if I'm honest, <laughs> I guess I'll be getting ready to get it done in about eight years. Right. Um, to even be, I know you're very out of, you know, very open about it, you know, but I think it might be hard for some of us to really tell our community, hey, you know, we're having this done. Right. I don't know how this is going to, and I think health stuff in general can be very difficult to talk about for some of us. I agree. I, I actually struggled with it myself because I wasn't going to post on it mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to be very vocal about it, um, even after last week when we mentioned yeah. it. But then someone reminded me, they were like, hey, David, you're a doctor. You have a voice um, in the community. You are post a lot about a lot of different things. And this would be important. And I can't tell you the number of people who actually sent me direct messages, called me, checked in on me and then also commented and said, Oh, yeah, I forgot. I was supposed to get one and I got to go to see my doctor. I've been putting it off, but thank you. The way you broke it down was perfect the way I need to see it. So you kind of realize that the more visible we are about stuff like this, it's like similar to, you know, when folks talk about talking about HIV, talking mm -hmm. about HIV treatment, talking about PrEP, those kind of things. If, if the conversation is more, quote unquote, normalized, whatever mm -hmm. that means, um, I think more people will, the stigma will go away from it. And I, there is stigma with colonoscopies. Um, and a lot of it's based on fear. I think we're just scared. You know, I think about my my friend Ibrahim Ferizaje. He would talk about the, as he would say, erotophobia. 
and like the 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 ways that you know the ways that assholes are kind of stigmatized right. in general and right. there being all this angst anxiety in general about our body parts right. um which i think also i mean we talk about health but we also talk about culture because they're very tied in right. politics and power right. and all those sorts of things right all right um why don't we move forward so i guess to sum up if you are of african descent mm -hmm. and you're 45 then you should probably start thinking looking into getting a colonoscopy um, and if you have a family history, you should subtract 10 years from when your when your family member was diagnosed. When your family member was diagnosed. Or at the age of 40. Those are the, or the age of 40. current yeah. recommendations. And then if you have any other chronic diseases, mm -hmm. ulcerative colitis, like I said, Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, at some point they're gonna want to take a look inside mm -hmm. and just make sure there's nothing else going on. But definitely by 50. Yes. Okay. All right. So we're moving on to our next topic. Let's go. All right, May 19th is Hepatitis Testing Day. And I asked David if he'd be willing to talk a bit about hepatitis and, mm -hmm. and just what folks need to know about how it impacts us. Okay. So let's just start. Yeah. Um, so hepatitis is, the, the, the word itself means inflammation of the liver and of, particularly mm -hmm. of the liver cells. Um, and when we talk about hepatitis, it could be uh, infectious, so caused by a virus. And I think this is what we're talking about for this, but hepatitis can also be autoimmune. So your immune mm -hmm. system can attack. Um, you can have drugs or medications that can impact and cause hepatitis. You can also have other things that cause hepatitis, um, gallstones, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but when we talk about hepatitis, the three major ones that I would say when we're talking about viruses are hepatitis A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones we get tests for a lot. Um, hepatitis A is the one that's usually spread from, I don't wanna say fecal oral, or uh, fecal oral or like anal oral. I just say if you're eating somebody's ass, if you're tossing salad. Which is a scientific term, by the way, tossing salad. It's is a medical term. Medical so term for anal I, I don't like using those kind of terms. Like fecal oral, it just sounds so stupid when you're when you're talking to on, on YouTube or uh, okay. Facebook. So it, it's usually when you're eating somebody's ass. And so, you know, everyone says it's gay sex. So someone will be like, oh, well, if you're an MSM, a man who has sex with other men and you're eating someone's ass. And I was like, well, straight people do the same thing too. So my message to everyone out there is it doesn't matter if um, you are same gender loving or what your sexual orientation is or what your gender identity is. If you're actually doing oral anal sex, if you're eating somebody's ass, tossing somebody's salad, you could be at risk for hepatitis A. Um, the symptoms of hepatitis are usually you'll get diarrhea, nausea, abdominal pain, sometimes dark urine because of the damage in the liver sometimes happens. Um, and then finally, you get what's called jaundice or your skin or, or eyes will turn more yellow. And so the important components, those are the symptoms, no matter what, when you get acutely sick with hepatitis. Hepatitis A hits you, you get sick, and then it goes on its merry way. You're yeah. done. Hepatitis B hits you, you get sick, and then maybe about 15%, um, 20% end up having long-term problems mm. and then having a risk of getting uh, hepatocellular cancer or cancer of the liver cells at a later point in time. But that's a minority, maybe about one in five, one in six. How is that. hepatitis B acquired? Hepatitis B is acquired through the same risk factors as HIV. Mm. So typically sex without condoms, um, IV drug use, any way it can get into the blood. And the important thing with hepatitis B to know is that it, it's about 25 times more infectious than HIV. Mm. So your likelihood just from a stats perspective of contracting hepatitis B far outweighs you catching HIV with those mm. kind of quote unquote risk factors. Um, hepatitis C is transmitted 
primarily IV drug use mm -hmm. um, historically. Sexual contact, um, we've seen a lot of acute cases among men who have sex with men recently, among gay men. Um, and so I think people underestimate hepatitis C and how much of it is actually caused through sexual exactly. contact. Um, hepatitis C is the one you want to look out for because that's the one that most likely you can live with for a long period of time yeah. and you don't know what's going on. And then about 30 to 40 years, it really starts causing damage to your liver, like cirrhosis or hardening of the liver, and then also can be a risk for uh, liver cancer. Um, with hepatitis A, there's really no treatment because it comes and goes and it leaves you. So you get sick, then you move on. There is a vaccine for hepatitis A though. So when you talk about hepatitis A, you can get a vaccine, which is a series of two shots. Hepatitis B, there is a vaccine, which is a series of three shots, and there is a treatment, or there are several oral treatments, but they're not cures. Yeah. So there's no cure for hepatitis B um, or hepatitis A, but you can get vaccinated for both. Hepatitis C is the interesting one in that maybe like up until about six years ago, five, six years ago, we only had a really crappy medication called interferon where you got an injection every week and it made you sick as a dog and you had to take that for a year. That was the only cure that we had for hepatitis C. In today's world, we actually have several different oral pills mm. that make up either two medicines or one medicine that you can take for two to three months, most likely three months, one pill once a day, and it's a cure for hepatitis C. Mm. So about 90% of people will actually completely clear the virus and be cured of hepatitis C. So that's kind of a big deal. The only problem with that is that the medications are very, very expensive. Yes. Um, anywhere from 40 to 60,000 for the two wow. to three months. But if you don't have insurance, don't let that stop you because there are patient assistance programs, medications like Harvoni, Eclupsa. Um, there are a few other ones, like three or four other ones that come up to mind that can treat different strains of hepatitis mm. C can help. So in short, if I were to summarize this, hepatitis A, self-limiting illness, you get sick as a dog and then it passes on its way, no chronic long-term effects transmitted through oral anal contact. Hepatitis B transmitted the same way as HIV, condomless sex, IV drug use, um, stays long-term about 20% of the time. There are treatments for it, but no cure. Hepatitis C, mostly IV drug use, some sexual uh, transmission, um, and there is a cure nowadays. Like I said, vaccinations are present for hepatitis A and hepatitis B. There is no vaccination for hepatitis C. Could you say a bit about how gay men are able to acquire hepatitis C sexually? Um, it's probably going to be through condomless sex as well. It's mm -hmm. interesting because sometimes when you look at hepatitis C... Because it's related to blood. Yeah, it's related to blood, so it's going to get in the same way. There, there used to be pie charts where they would show like what percentage mm -hmm. got, you know, what percentage of quote-unquote risk category. So they would say IV drug use was like maybe like 40 or 50 percent, mm -hmm. and then they would say 15 percent um, sexually acquired and then 20%, 20 to 30% unknown risk factor. And I was always looking at those and I was like, how can there be 30% where you don't know what caused mm. it? And my suspicion is that there's a lot more sexual yeah. transmission of hepatitis C than people think. Um, hepatitis C used to be the one that you didn't want to get mm -hmm. because there wasn't a cure. The treatment was really crappy. And that was the one that more likely than not led to cirrhosis mm. um, and led to hardening of the liver and cancer uh, complications. But now with this cure, it's actually pretty good. And if you look at screening, like screening mm. tests for all of these, like some people may say, well, how often do I have to get checked for hepatitis mm -hmm. A, B or C? How do I know I've been exposed to it? 
Um, it is kind of a complicated subject, but to break it down simply, you can get a blood test to see exactly if your body has produced antibodies or proteins to fight hepatitis A. Mm -hmm. um, you can see whether you've been exposed, whether you've been vaccinated. Same thing with hepatitis B. Hepatitis C, there's just an antibody test that you check. Yeah. Um, and you can see whether you've been exposed at any point in time. Now, important to know, if you were born before 1965, like if you're a baby boomer, um, it's recommended as a screening test. Yeah. It's also recommended as a screening test if you're a man who has sex with men or someone else who is about to start PrEP. Mm. You want to make sure you don't have hepatitis C. And then hepatitis B screening is also advised if you're a man who has sex with other men or if you're about to start PrEP. So some of these tests, when you go into your doctor's, nurse practitioner's office, make sure you ask them. If you're getting sexually transmitted infection mm. screening, um, ask them about hepatitis A, B, and C and discuss your risk for it. And if you could be at risk, how you can test for it if you need the vaccines. Those are common conversations to have, but I can guarantee you uh, when providers do sexually transmitted infection or STI testing, they're not routinely checking for mm -hmm. hepatitis A, B, and C. I can guarantee you that. Mm -hmm. We usually check for, we've done, we talked about this before, HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia. But not hepatitis A, B, and C. Not hepatitis A, B, and C. So if you're concerned about it, any history of IV drug use, condomless sex, mm -hmm. if you've been eating somebody's ass or somebody's been eating your ass, and also, I forgot to mention with hepatitis A, healthcare workers. So, or not healthcare workers and um, restaurant workers. I'm sorry. More importantly, with restaurant workers, because this is why you see in a restaurant there'll always be a diagram outside the bathroom or in the bathroom that says "Employees wash your hands." Oh, that's what that's about. Because what's happening is that if someone has hepatitis A, the virus gets shed out when you're going to the bathroom because you'll have diarrhea. And so if you don't wash your hands and then you go and cook and prepare somebody's food, it can be transmitted. That's why you'll see outbreaks of hepatitis A at restaurants where they have mm. to uh, shut things down. And also on cruises, sometimes when you're captive like that, if someone has a self-limiting illness and then they're preparing somebody's food, that way they can kind of, the hepatitis A can get in and really cause like a short-term epidemic. Um, Could you talk a bit about prevention? Prevention? For A, B, and C. How do you, or how do you prevent from getting it? Um, I think screening is important mm -hmm. first and foremost. So asking your medical provider to do those tests for you, obviously with hepatitis uh, B and C, mm -hmm. um, using clean needles. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a choice, don't inject drugs. But if you are injecting uh, anything, make sure you, you get, if there's a needle exchange program in your area or something like that, don't reuse a needle or use somebody else's needle. That'll help you protect yourself against hepatitis B and C. Condoms, as we talked about, um, safer sexual practices. And then for hepatitis A, it's hard with that. I wouldn't tell anybody not to have oral anal sex. Some people will use like cellophane or some mm -hmm. kind of um, like, saran wrap. like a saran wrap or yeah. a barrier to help them out. But I don't know whether those necessarily work. And viruses that are shed out like that, even though visibly you can't see anything, a virus can still be shed. And so even if your mouth is down there, you still could be exposed. So it would be it would be hard. So if you're dealing with a partner and they've had a diarrheal illness or they've had some other illness and you're worried about it, then I wouldn't go down on them. Mm. If that were the case, I'd, mm. I'd wait a little while to figure out what's going on. Please let us know if you um, have questions about hepatitis or if you have experience, um, just let us know and share your insights. It's really medical today. I know. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, we're about to, we're about to turn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we're about to turn on this, right? <clears throat> One of the conversations I know I've heard people having in our community is around finding your tribe. And I even in places like DC and right. Oakland and Chicago, right. I hear 
folks from our community talking about their struggles in connecting to a tribe or finding a community. Right. And this has definitely been a reoccurring conversation on revolutionary health. It's also something that um, even within the County Narrative Project, we've talked a lot about. And you know, I just thought we'd spend some time talking a bit about what it means to find your tribe and how how one finds community. Sure. Oh, before I forget, sure. um, if you want more information on hepatitis, um, the CDC has a really good have mm -hmm. really good summaries of hepatitis A, B, and C. So go to cdc.gov if you want to get more information. Okay. <laughs> so I, I wanted to give people more information. Oh no, I that's a good idea. I gave Thank a lot. Of, I gave a lot of information. Then I was like, if I was watching, I would have been like, okay. I, I'd have to watch it over again to kind of do that because I got my head was spinning as I was talking. A lot of so, information. It was good information. It's though. a lot of information. I learned a lot. All right. So finding your tribe. Finding your tribe. What do you think? I've been talking nonstop for like 20 minutes. Come on. I'm sure you have more to say. <laughs> I do. How do you find your tribe, Charles Stevens? Or is the counter narrative your tribe? It's one of my tribes. Right. I definitely think that as we get older, it might sometimes be difficult in you know being the spontaneous social encounters that that one might have and of course you have folks like I, I know some folks are like oh you know they have tons of friends and it's not an issue for them and i think there are others where it does become a challenge especially you know when we talk about like long like thinking about the impact of the 80s and 90s particularly in our community where so many of us died right that's had absolutely an impact on, on our community and in and, and connections and so forth. Right. So I, I think there are a lot of ways to cut it. And I also talk to you know very young people that share their struggles with being social. For example, a lot of people think when they move to Atlanta that there'll be lots of community and lots of people and lots of friendships. And that's not always the case, although yeah. it is for some people. And so I was just hoping that we could maybe just offer some suggestions about finding a tribe. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of look to y'all too. So please share your insights in the comments. Like, how have you found your tribe? And right. what does that mean for you? What is your tribe? Like, how would you even define your tribe? Right. So um, I just got a text that was related to this. Um, <laughs> was it? Not at all. Okay. Um, it, looked, it looked like it for a minute. I was like, oh, that's not, that's something very different. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting to find your tribe. And I think your point about it, Lynn, is a good one. Um, because people think that just by the shared numbers of black gay men in Atlanta that you can easily find your tribe, and sometimes it's hard. And I do think it's generational and age-related. Was I mean, it hard for you to find your tribe here? Um, or do you have a tribe? I have different tribes. I have different tribes. So I, I think if I were to say for myself, um, when I was younger, I had more energy and effort and patience <laughs> to run around and do other things. I, I think I found myself, as I was getting older, uh, getting more settled in with good friends that I had, people yeah. that I trusted, long-term relationships. No new friends. <laughs> no new friends, yeah, basically like Drake. But it is hard for me to make new friends because it takes an effort. And I don't speak to my old friends as much as I would like to. And, you know, relationships change over time. So there may be certain points of time when you're in your 20s where you needed to check in every day. You needed to see each other frequently and do all this other stuff. As a relationship goes on, I think it's the same as with a, a marriage or an intimate mm -hmm. partnership. Like you may not need to do all that stuff all the time. There's a certain level of comfort and familiarity that you have. So you don't need to make all that effort. And I think for me, that's kind of been the case. And then also situations have happened. I've been immature before and have done messed up things in relationships that broke up <laughs> friendships. Yeah. People have done messed up st stuff to me that I felt I needed to walk mm -hmm. away. So some friends step up surprisingly at different oh, times. Yeah. Others kind of fade to the background. So 
I think finding your tribe is like a continual ebb or flow and it's a very fluid process. Um, for me right now, I have tribes that I travel with. I have tribes that I may go out to eat or dinner with. I have tribes that I go out to movies or do cultural events with. I have tribes that I do activism. Why are you pointing at me? You and Johnny, that we get to do I'll, all this stuff I can't together. Be, I can't so be the wonderful. friend that travels. I can't be the you friend that travels. You don't travel with me. When do we travel together? I, I never got the invitation. <gasps> I never got one either. Go figure. You're the trend You're the trend <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I think there are different models, like, I mean, there are definitely folks that would that kind of compartmentalize in a way. So right. they're like, these are my friends that I do community stuff with. These are my friends that I do more social stuff with. These are my friends that I share these secrets with. Right. Then there, I mean, I think for me though, I don't like to compartment. Like I like, I like combos. Right. Like I want to be able to do lots of different things with the same people. You want a bundle? I want a bundle. You want to bundle your tribes? Um, which, which doesn't always work that well. <laughs> you know, like one of my constant struggles is you know, I like, you know, I, some of my artistic sensibilities are, or my cultural sensibilities can be, you know, a little different. Right. So like, these are my friends that I might want to see some snooty movie with, but then I also want to go see, you know, some like. Ratchet. Exactly. Kind of torture porn horror film. <laughs> no, that's you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but like, <laughs> no, but I do. Yeah, exactly. So just wanting, and I, it, I honestly, I don't think it's a good model. I mean, I think that people are complicated and you can't, you really can't do everything with everybody. Right. And I've also had a similar experience too, where, you know, my friends that I had when I was much younger, you know, a lot of us have grown apart, you know, like, you know, your lives change, things get different, even though I lived in Atlanta my entire life. Right. So I, I moved found to Philly and then moved back. So like, depending on kind of where I was. But it was funny. I see you more now than I did before. Like, I feel like when you're in Atlanta before, I never saw you. I was on my grind. You were on your grind? I was yeah. really grinding a lot. I, I think... mean, even though we, our lives intersected, it's like, I, you're most people I only saw at conferences. And I'd be like, right. hey, David. I'd be like, hey, Charles, what's up? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It, it changes. But I think you can find your tribe. And I think your tribe can be defined differently as you kind of move along life. But I think you're right about compartmentalizing. Because sometimes, like a friend that you thought was just in this box, like yeah. maybe your travel person or you went to church with or you did this, that, and the other. All of a sudden you like step out and you realize they like something else that you did or well, you, you know, hang that's out. My, that's so my struggle. I think that's, I think because that's cool. people love to put me, people love to put me in a box and they are like, Charles can only do, you Activism. know, Charles only sits up and reads, I don't know, like James Baldwin, which I love James Baldwin. They think I sit up and like, you know, he's like, you know, I'm just like, no, I, I'm only, not an I activist. I think you only read bell hooks. I think you exactly like I, bell hooks. I'm like, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, <laughs> so I, maybe I think that is also when you get older, because I think when I was younger, I, I didn't feel as confined to these assumptions. Right. right. I think it comes with growth. Mm -hmm. I can, uh, it comes with growth. And well, we, have a, we have a comment. Yeah. Um, Bernard says, my tribe has changed over the years. Now it is smaller in number, not limited to black and or gay men and mostly centered around my artistic career. But I spend more time alone these days. Um, and Bernard also says his tribe has changed over the years. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that, Bernard. And I think that's the case for so many of us. But I'll also add that, you know, I I do enjoy running into old friends and, right. and reminiscing and, and right. having nostalgia right. and just sharing memories. Right. Um, as I've gotten older, in some ways, I've gotten less patient with right. certain things. Like, like, I'm too old for this. I am I not. I'm grown. I'm not putting up with this. And then uh, there's also me, especially, it makes me also patient though in, in a weird way is just knowing that a lot of us didn't make it to 30. You know, I know that even in my cohort of, yeah. you know, black men coming of age in the arts in Atlanta and particularly in activism, a lot of us didn't make it. You know, yeah. I think about 
you know, I mean, I have stories and I always share this. I, there are stories where people in those memories, none of them are on this earth anymore. Right. Um, and it's, and I think a lot of us have, the, you know, I, I talk a lot about that with some of people around my age and it's, you know, and it, it's real. And so I don't want to necessarily throw people away. Like I, right. you know, it's important to cultivate, but it's, but I think also when you're, when you're, when your life is very full and there's so much going on and so many distractions, sometimes it's hard to even think the text and right. remember birthdays and, and, and checking on people. Right. I yeah. think, um, and with social media, it makes it a lot different now yeah. than what it was back then. But I think if I were to make recommendations <laughs> or suggest things to anybody about this, I would just say, <clears throat> you know, be open to the journey. Um, you're going to gain new friends. You're going to lose some old friends. You're going to keep people that are going to be with you for the rest of your natural born life. Um, don't get hung up on all this other stuff, but go with what affirms you. Go with what affirms points. you. Yeah. And, you know, if you need something at a certain point, um, those people make you feel good about yourself and affirm you and support you during that period of your struggle, during that period of your time, then, you know, be close to them, stick close to them. And I think the general rule for me is just hang around positive people, like mm -hmm. be around somebody who's going to be positive and affirming <laughs> with you. And if they're giving you some negativity yeah. on a consistent basis, then yeah. bounce. Run. Like, how do you feel about it? How does it make you... Yeah, I mean, that's one of my rules, too. If I don't feel good, if I'm around people or, or around someone and I, I I don't feel like they're contributing. Right. Right. And I, I had to set some boundaries early on with relationships, especially because it's not acceptable for me to be treated poorly. And I unfortunately think there is some ways in which certain kinds of behaviors are normalized in right. our community, right. especially around how we talk to each other. Right. You know, my thing is like, it's so easy to say something kind to someone. Right. Um, and I, like, so I never get it when people are just like really nasty to each other or really shady. So things like right. that, I mean, that's also kind of <laughs> weeded out some some forces in my life too, right. but it's also a check. But I think, know? and I think as you get older, the amount of scars and trauma from not only intimate relationships, but then also our friendships, um, what we've been hurt by, what we've gone through, this, that, and the other, we carry all that with us. Mm -hmm. And so as we get older, we get afraid to make ourselves more vulnerable with friends and intimate partners. We get afraid to try something new because when something gets familiar and comfortable, we tend to stay in that space. And so, you know, I have this challenge myself. Like sometimes I just rather sit at home and be on my own. And so <laughs> yeah. I'll tend to not step out there, but I have to kind of keep encouraging myself to like, David, go out and do something different. When someone invites you to go someplace, your knee jerk is going to say no, but you never know what could happen when you go to an event with somebody or when you say yes to somebody who's asking you to do something. Maybe they needed you at that moment for something. And, you know, maybe it's not all about you or maybe there's an experience that's waiting for you that you didn't think you were going to have, but now is going to change your life. Uh oh, um, Ivan says know. that you jump. It's LOL. Jump right over me. We jumped over. Ivan, we jumped over you. What did we jump over you? Did what you happened? have a question? Is there a comment? <laughs> I guess he feels like our comment. His comment didn't get read or something. Could you? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> What's the comment? Let us know. And we'll <laughs> respond to it. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, but I do believe that there's so many emotional benefits to having a having a tribe, and I think a lot of us have to figure it out. Um, but again, it's like it what it's it's about what makes you feel good, and your tribe doesn't necessarily have to be just like you. I mean, I think there's a lot of beauty and richness and diversity. Absolutely. Um, but it's absolutely a journey. Oh, I think it's when you're David. You're still my baby, bro. This is it, Ivan. Yeah. <laughs> okay all right even though i'm old thanks ivan <laughs> you're my older bro hey 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we wanted to have, I know Johnny's wanting us to wrap up, but I wanted to just touch on the, the deal one more time since apparently it's back and we have to bank. Oh, poor Johnny. He's like, Johnny's shooting himself <laughs> in the head right now. Um, Are you on the down low? I am. <laughs> don't, David, don't play like that because you know. Um, I'm getting no, I, crazy emails. No, I think that um, I think that it's making a cycle back. Um, but I feel like we're it, talking about different things, right? Because there's, I mean, there are people that identify as DL, and it's not in the sense that they're married and they're leading sort of a double life or a secret life. It's more about a certain affinity with the kind of masculine culture. And so they're not necessarily living, you know, a double life kind of thing. It's yeah. like, it's, but it, they see themselves as discreet or they may not necessarily identify as gay. Which um, it could be more about discretion. I mean, the whole phrase down low came about, you know, discretion, keep it on the low, like be discreet about it. And so that didn't pretend, that wasn't specific or bisexual brothers who were married and cheating on their wife with other dude who, 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 was not the, the term like who made it was that jail was that jail king i don't know what the made jail term? king did it maybe it was r kelly i mean r kelly made it big um tlc had songs <laughs> back in the day um so i mean all these things happen but i i oh, think yeah. it i think it just gets recycled as generations come about and one of the things that um britney who the producer um on this for this panel discussion brought to me, she said, you know, there's a lot of black women that are talking about it still. And so she said to me on the phone, she said, well, you know, I think for a lot of black gay men, you're living in a bubble because you've experienced this a lot. And I told her, I was like, well, I think also like black women are living in a bubble as well. So we have our separate bubbles, but if you're not hearing of things on the outside, then you just go to a certain truth. And, you know, she said, you know how scary it is for us to have to worry about this with every guy we have to ask if they're gay we have to ask if they're is she, sure other... is she sure it's not just a her thing or like is it oh no no, no. It's, it sounds like she talked because we have got I've, I've got i feel like there was a time when you would listen to the radio right. and it was all if you talk about men in atlanta there was always the like there's a certain conversation around black men in atlanta that right. would go something like right either in jail right or gay and all and i feel like i haven't heard that in well, so someone long told me about the conversation like I guess on V103, they had a conversation after Donald, was that, was that you saying? After Donald Glover's video, This Is America came out, all they were talking about is how he was dancing like he was a homo or he was effeminate. And that took over predominantly the conversation about This Is America, which is the last thing. But I still feel like that's different about. than him being on the, the download. Which in, well, it's, it's different, but it also speaks to kind of the way people are going to see things or the way people are going to well, watch I mean, I definitely think or how they I, interpret things I mean, that come across on screen. I mean, I definitely feel like we're in this moment in the black community and oh my god please don't tell me there are black communities okay fine black communities <laughs> it didn't occur to me that black people were on the bottom of it. Right. um i think we're in a moment where there are these figures right that are becoming prominent through their allegiance to a certain kind of um heterosexual masculinity right i mean i think that's absolutely there was a fixation with umar johnson i think that that that's the fixation with um, Tariq Nasheed, who uses this term moist to refer to um, non-heterosexual men, I guess. Um, so I, I just feel like, I wonder with if there is a, a strand of our community that feels like they cling to these very traditional notions of, of I guess, Black family and things like that. Um, and that drives some of the download mm -hmm. conversation. Or at least some of the... because. Where I think it shows up the most is definitely in around HIV criminalization. 
And that's mm-hmm. that's the point that I always bring because there's something about the concept of being caught up in what masculinity means, what gay means versus mm-hmm. what not gay means, mm-hmm. um, and what being a black masculine male means in society and those kind of things. But where the conversation always steers left to me with download is when it always gets linked with HIV, even though there are anecdotal cases of women, obviously, who've contracted HIV from a bisexual husband. There is no doubting that at all. But the scientific literature on a large scale suggests and implies and actually confirms that most of the cases among heterosexual Black women um, who contract HIV is not because they slept with a down low man. Um, It's because of other things, whether it be IV drug use or whether it was multiple sex partners or whether it was something else structural that was going on, maybe having sex with a heterosexual brother who wasn't taking care of their HIV um, and wasn't on treatment, so their viral load was high. But it always seems to come down to this kind of black DL boogeyman that's causing it. And it's very one directional in that it starts with gay men who are the source of HIV they give it to the bisexual brother who's a predator, and then he preys on the unsuspecting and hapless and innocent Black woman who has no agency over her sexuality, her body, her choices in life, and she's the victim always in this case. And we all lose. And, and like, that's and we all lose. We all lose. We like, all lose. It's, in it's that not a discourse that we all lose empowers in that anyone. It's not right. a discourse because part of what's wrong with even the formulation of, of how, how this discourse comes about right. is that it leave, it leaves structures off the hook. It doesn't look at access to healthcare. It doesn't look at how black, so many black folks, you know, we have so many health disparities in our community with regard to all kinds of conditions and HIV is one of them. Incarceration. It doesn't, right. it exactly, it doesn't hold institutions accountable. Right. So we end up blaming ourselves. Right. And so we end up in this fight with each other about right. who's to blame. Right. Meanwhile, the institutions and structures continue that on. continue on mm-hmm. creating these, um, the, 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 this reality where we end up not getting access to quality healthcare, where we still suffer from significant economic insecurity yep. and the, the litany of forces that yep. create the structural violence that we all end up having to um, deal with. I there mean, are a lot of comments. I think you kind of <laughs> tapped into something. Tapped into something. Um, my favorite one. Uh, okay. So Bernard says, Dale King popularized it as applicable to Black gay SGL communities. It was R. Kelly first. Generally, they happened to coincide. Right. Um, Ben Robinson says, I'm mad. We're still talking about the deal. I'm mad too, Ben. I tried. I, am too. I, I was like, I wasn't gonna talk about it, but he the brought people, it up today. The people, the pe- you, 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 the people, the people said they wanted me to talk to you. I was like, the, I was playing the dark skin man. Well, I'm still talking that? about the oh, deal. No, we're doing colorism too. We're doing colorism too. Well. Since, since DL is in, let's go back to all. Get away from me. However, <laughs> still remains such a taboo. Um, topic in our community. I wish we could just have an honest conversation about it and leave all the scare tactics out of it. Who said that, Ben? Ben Robinson. Yeah, ben, I'm James Lester says bravo. I mean, we really have to have honest. And even though I got mad at David a little bit for doing the panel, I mean, I do appreciate him going into the hornet's nest and, I didn't do and being it. willing. Well, I mean, I but being willing, being willing to, willing to um, yeah. have those hard conversations because you're, I mean, you're obviously not, it, it's so easy to just preach the choir, so to speak, but you're, David, you're one of those folks that go into these environments where you are facing a lot of heterosexism, um, a lot of people looking at you right. and, and and really speaking truth to power in right. those spaces. And I applaud you for that because it's a lot of us, you go into this audience and they're all like. But I mean, the Bleh. thing is, is that you get exhausted with it and you realize mm-hmm. that even though you've, you're sick of the topic, for a lot of people it's new or they're just getting misinformation right now. And if you're not present at the mm-hmm. table to actually combat the misinformation, then yeah. the false narrative continues. Mm-hmm. And we see that every day with that person squatting in the White House right now, is that when you put out a narrative daily on Twitter 
or whatever else it is, and people don't have something to combat the lies or the falsehoods, then whatever is told is going to be taken as truth. Mm. And so it's it's on all of us, even though we may be sick of talking about it, even though we may be sick of addressing it. If someone from a news organization will come to me and say, hey, we really need to talk about this. I, I fought it originally, yeah. but then I agreed to do it. And unfortunately, I couldn't do it afterwards. Yeah. But I would have done it because I would have said, like, hey, it, it's important for me to be there because I can bring my experience as a provider, as a researcher, all mm -hmm. the work that I did and the arts about it. Um, I could have brought all that to the table and really educated people about it. And if you change one person's mind and then they share some information with other people, then it kind of spreads like that. But I, I, I feel you because when you said it, I was kind of like, when you, know who when brought you it first back? recommended, I didn't want to do it. You know who brought it back? I think it was Lee Daniels that brought it back because I started hearing about it, especially around when he was doing he's, he's Precious. Always been, he's always been a big and he would say, And he would it. say things. Him and Tyler Perry. Mm -hmm. Tyler Perry, obviously, like he, he created this DL storyline for colored girls. I'm like, how did it you awful. integrate? It was awful. I was mad at, I was mad at Janet. Janet. I ain't gonna lie, I was mad at Janet for a minute. I'm, we're, we made up, me and Janet Jackson, we've made up, but we, I was mad. We were mad. I was mad for about a Let's minute. Let's wait a while. Um, I was like, Janet, don't, don't do that. Um, but maybe we should do a DL discussion. We will Caminata. at some point. Should but we can't tonight because Johnny the, wants us to wrap up. Johnny is telling us it's time to go. We're way over. Way over. I'm gonna read just a few more comments. Uh, the last comment. Um, to be honest, the DL appears to be explicitly rejected by increasing numbers of black gay men. This tends to be more widely discussed adjacent to heterosexual female folks, but less and less among BGMs. Yes. Thank you, Bernard. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, thank y'all so much for tuning in. As always, please like this video on Facebook if you're watching it on Facebook. If you're watching it on YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and like us on YouTube. And please, please, please join our email list at thecounternarrative.org. Um, we're really trying to grow the audience for our Revolutionary Health series. And we're, you know, always, always, always trying to expand our counter-narrative tribe. And if you're looking for a tribe, join the counter-narrative tribe. Absolutely. We're a tribe you can join. We're a tribe you can join. Get your colonoscopies. Get checked for hepatitis get your A, B, or C. Um, and find your tribe. That's your homework assignment. If you're, you know, if if you if you've uh, if you're that's good. eligible, as, right. as David put out, right. Get your colonoscopy screening and let us know how it goes. Absolutely. Um, and I guess we'll look back. Is when you get your results back from the? I should have gotten something today, but I haven't heard from anybody yet. Let so we'll know. see what happens. I'll right. let y'all know. All right, everyone. Thank y'all so much. Take care. All right. Have a good.